When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality. Welcome to Jamie All Over. I am loving that this is our first week on a Tuesday. I think this is going to work out so much better. It is now Monday evening. I had my whole weekend free, and that's the first time it happened since December of last year. So almost a year now. And it was such a relaxing, amazing weekend. I feel refreshed. I feel good. I'm excited to get the week going now on a Monday. I just got home from an event called Long Beach Meatless Mondays. And it takes place in kind of the side yard outdoor section of Trademark Brewing in Long Beach. I'm kind of familiarizing myself with Long Beach and the vegan scene over there because, as you may know, Sugar Taco is about to open our third location in Long Beach, and we're probably a couple months away from opening, and next door to that is going to be the Plant Butchers. So progress is happening, construction has been underway, walls are now up, it's all very exciting So I'm just kind of hanging out a little bit more in Long Beach, getting to know the area. And I went to this event tonight. There was, I want to say, six or seven different vegan vendors, food truck situations set up outside. And it was Voodoo Vegan, which is Creole food. And they're known for their fried shrimp, but they were sold out. So I'm saving Voodoo for another time. I've heard of them for a really, really long time. I've been wanting to try it, but not tonight. I had my favorite vegan pizza from Secret Vegan Pizza. They do pop-ups all over. They do one in Santa Ana, Santa Monica, and they're now at this Long Beach Meatless Mondays. Their shiitake mushroom with white garlic sauce is so good. And then they have this like hot honey drizzle that you can put on top of it. It's like a spicy, sweet honey. Oh my God. And obviously it's vegan. So good. And then I had Shane's Tamales which I've heard of Shane's for a long time now. They have a great reputation. And typically, I just always think of tamales as kind of like bland and not something I would go to. But 
I met up with the organizer of the event, Bryce, and he recommended the tamales. In fact, I think they were his favorite. So I had to give it a try and I just got kind of a sampler. I was there with my family. My brother is visiting from the East Coast and then my other brother is here with me. Then I had my mom and Ivy. So I brought them all down and we just tried, you know, a variety of things. Ivy got a chocolate chip cookie, which she wasn't a fan of because she said it's dark chocolate chips in it, which I was like, yeah, it has to be vegan. So milk chocolate is not vegan, but we've had amazing chocolate chip cookies that are vegan before. Sprouts, by the way, it's a supermarket here in California. They're not all over the country, unfortunately. Sprouts makes the best vegan chocolate chip cookies. Although I will say the last time I got them, they were a little bit thinner than I'm used to and they weren't as good. I'm hoping it was just a fluke and they go back to the way that they have been. So as for my relaxing weekend, like I said, my brother is in town. He's out here for work, but he came a few days early so he could hang out with us. We rented a Duffy. And if you don't know what that is, it's a little boat that you can take out in Newport Bay. And they're usually in sizes that would fit, say, like eight passengers and then some go up to 12 passengers. And it has a little like roof, I guess. So you're not directly in the sun, but it's obviously like all open on the sides. And I drove it and it was so fun. And we drove around Newport Harbor, and then you can actually dock it at any of the restaurants and bars, and the server will come out to your Duffy and ask for your order and bring you drinks and food. It's so cool. So it was just a beautiful day to do that yesterday. And then the day before, I found a pigeon, and I saved this pigeon. So I learned something new. And I'm going to pass along the information to you. This is kind of an animal-centric episode anyway, so it's kind of perfect with the topic that is coming up. But there was a pigeon not moving, kind of just outside my door, but in the parking lot. And he had two bands around his legs. And the poor guy, he was just not moving for maybe 10, 15 minutes. I didn't want him to get hit by a car. So I ended up getting a box and a towel. And I turned the box on the side with the open part facing the pigeon. And then I took the towel and kind of put it behind him and just pushed him in a little bit with the towel very lightly. I prodded him in and he just willingly walked into the box. I was like, okay. So then I close up the box and I started researching what is going on? Why does he have the bands? What do I do? Also, I noticed when he was in the parking lot, his poop was kind of like a neon green color. I'm like, that can't be good. So I research all of this and I come to find out because he has the bands on his legs and they were plastic, they weren't aluminum. Aluminum typically belongs to some sort of wildlife association. So these bands that I found were more common and it's from these racing clubs, these racing associations where they breed, buy, and train these pigeons to fly thousands of miles. One of the bands is kind of like a computer chip. So it tracks, I don't know if the computer chip is right terminology, but whatever is in it, it tracks how quickly it gets to a certain destination and then returns back home. Apparently, this is a big thing. It's illegal in some states, I believe, but there's pigeon racing. And I read that some people have paid up to $300,000 for a fast pigeon because the prizes that they could win is like in the six figures, but they don't want losers. They don't want slow pigeons. They don't want pigeons that need to rest or get lost. And that is what happened to this one. 
I don't know if he was just exhausted or lost or sick. I assume he was sick because, like I said, the poop was neon green. So I finally found this rescue organization, which happened to be one town away from me, which was amazing. I ended up emailing someone who wrote a blog post about it and like, don't give it back to the owner because the owner will just kill it. They have a no mercy attitude and this pigeon is considered a failure. They don't want it back. They'll kill it if the pigeon ends up returning back to home. So I was like, okay, I'm definitely not returning it to the owner, but I want to make sure he's okay. And I couldn't bring him to any wildlife facilities because he's not considered wildlife. They can't make him better and release him into the wild. So it was basically like a needle in a haystack to find this woman that rescues domesticated pigeons from this like racing industry. So got in touch with her, brought the pigeon over to her house, and she's going to rehabilitate him. And then once he's healthy, she will adopt him out. This is truly an amazing organization. It's called Avian Underdogs Rescue Association. Her name is Teresa Watley. She has quite a few birds for adoption. If you guys are looking to adopt a bird, definitely don't go buy one in a bird store or a pet store. But she has many that, like this pigeon, she rehabilitated and they're available for adoption. I would suggest looking at her webpage because these birds are so cute. They're so beautiful. All the colorful ones, the parrots, the parakeets. And she even had one named Fancy Pants. And we're here in Orange County. And I'm like, that has to be a Heather Dubrow reference. And I love it. As of yesterday, he's doing well. And he's on the road to recovery. So I did mention this episode is going to be about animals for the most part. And one of my favorite organizations, Mercy for Animals, had their annual gala. And the cutest thing happened. So Kevin Smith, who is a vegan, if you know Mall Rats, Jay and Silent Bob, that's who Kevin Smith is. He has a daughter named Harley Quinn, similar to my dog's name. Not similar, like it's exactly my dog's <laughs> name. And she is also a vegan. The two of them are big animal rights activists. I think she is the one that convinced her dad to go vegan. He lost a lot of weight. I think he may have had a health issue and she convinced him to go vegan. And the two of them have been really big animal rights supporters since then. So she attended the Mercy for Animals Gala and Veg News was on the red carpet interviewing people as they walked by and they asked them several questions, including what is your favorite vegan restaurant? And Harley Quinn said sugar taco. And I was like, oh my God, I love you, Harley Quinn. These are the things that I fangirl over aside from my emo music. It's like anything PETA or like anything animal rights related. And my next guest Her name is Monica Miller. She's an attorney for the Non-Human Rights Project. She is beautiful and she's so compassionate. She went to law school not because she wanted to be an attorney, but because she wanted to help animals. She's just one of those people that have impressed me in such an enormous way. And I think she is incredible. I reached out to the Non-Human Rights Project When I heard about a case in the New York highest court, which is similar to what we call the Supreme Court here in California, regarding an elephant named Happy who was in the Bronx Zoo and they were trying to get her released to a sanctuary. And I ended up reaching out and asking if I could get someone from their team on the podcast. And they suggested Monica, who was the lead attorney in fighting for Happy. And I was so excited to have her. I mentioned that she's an attorney for the Non-Human Rights Project. They are 
the only civil rights organization in the United States dedicated solely to securing rights for non-human animals. I think it's a really special organization. If you want to see what they're doing or current things that they're working on, it's nonhumanrights.org. And I will also leave their Instagram in the show notes along with Monica's Instagram. I have a little bit of my own connection to Happy, which probably sparked my interest a little bit more in this case. And that's because where I live, it used to be this like amphitheater and they would have concerts here. But before that, it used to be a theme park called Lion Country Safari. It was a drive-through safari. They had a bunch of different animals, lions, tigers, and there were elephants here. One of the elephants was named Happy. Happy was stolen from her homeland as a baby. We believe she was stolen from Thailand with her siblings. And so they ended up naming them after all of the seven dwarves, Happy, Grumpy, and so on. So Happy ended up coming to Lion Country, which is currently where my complex is built on top of. And the only reason I know this is because when I go for my walks along this trail along the mountainside, there's a plaque there and it says Lion Country Safari and it tells all the history of it. So then this case back around June was in the news about an elephant named Happy that's currently at the Bronx Zoo and her attorneys were fighting to grant her personhood. And I know that sounds confusing because she's an animal, not a person. It's a legal term and it applies to anyone or anything that is granted rights. What was also interesting to me about this story is that I met Happy at the Bronx Zoo. I went there on a class trip and she was one of, I believe, two elephants that they had when I went. And I saw both elephants when I was there. So I know I must have seen Happy. And sadly, I don't know how I remember this because I think I was in maybe first grade, but there were kids riding the elephants. They had some sort of seat hooked up to her and they were giving rides on her. She's been there for over 40 years. So they took her from where I live now and brought her, I believe she had one other stop in Florida and then the Bronx Zoo took her. One last thing I should mention, Monica was also part of a documentary called Unlocking the Cage and that's on HBO with Stephen Weiss, who she will also mention. That's who started the Non-Human Rights Project. So without further ado, Monica Miller. Thank you so much for having me. And I'm thrilled to talk about anything about Happy. It's one of these cases that just breaks my heart, but also brings me joy to share her story and have other people take interest. So thank you for having me. Absolutely. How did you get involved? So I've been working with the Non-Human Rights Project and Stephen Wise, the founder, since really its inception. And I really went to law school to get animals rights. I never was like, I want to be a lawyer. I was like, I want a better world for animals. And I felt that way as a kid. And Vermont Law School happened to be one of the only schools in the nation that actually had an animal law program at the time. So after I did my master's degree, I went right on over to Vermont Law School and took the two animal law classes that they offered. (laughs) Now there's a bigger program. But in the process, went to the animal law conference and saw Stephen Wise speak. And there he was talking about that animals currently are all, you know, legal property and they have 
have no more rights than a pencil. And that was my understanding as well. He said, I'm trying to change that. Who wants to join me? And I was like, that's why I'm here in law school. So I was really, really excited. And it was so fortuitous that, you know, I was able to get on board. And then he hired me out of law school. And so I've really been working on the cases since our first ones with the chimpanzees. I worked on the writing of the petition of Happy's case and different iterations of it, as well as when Steve had asked me to argue the case about a month before, <laughs> really kind of short notice. But it was so exciting for me to have him pass the torch because he has argued all of our cases so far. And it was just such a huge honor for him to peg me as someone that would be worth presenting her case. Wow. It's so important that this is even in the public eye and it's in articles and on news stories. And it's just making people ask the question, do animals actually have rights? Exactly. Why happy? There are so many animals in captivity. Why did you choose happy to bring this to light? So the Bronx Zoo currently has two elephants. Happy was considered the loneliest elephant. Even the New York Times had written a piece about her being alone. So that really jumped out at us. We already had pegged New York as our state that we wanted to file in because we had gained some momentum with our chimpanzee cases. We had a great concurrence from one of the highest court judges, Judge Fahey, who after we lost our chimpanzee case said, you know what, we were wrong to not take this case. So that gave us a little hope. So we were like, we want New York. There's not really that many elephants in New York, which is part of the reason why it's a good state too because it's like so much of the concern is the floodgates and how is this going to impact all these other animals and when it comes to elephants there's only about 10 other elephants in the state of New York and so Happy's case was the most compelling as far as the nature of her confinement you know being all alone and just the one acre and then also just the fact that she deserves better much better. It's so sad because elephants are very social creatures and they need to be around other elephants to thrive. I believe she was brought to the Bronx Zoo with only one other elephant, her sister Grumpy. Was Grumpy put down at some point? Yes. They have euthanized a number of elephants and it's due to causes from confinement. Grumpy had, I think, liver disease. And then after the attack by Patty and Maxine, and again, the attack was not something that would happen in nature. The elephants attacked each other because they're put in like a tiny little pen and it's like confining human beings for too long, you know, in a small space. It was just kind of an aggressive thing. But anyway, so all of the euthanization is just in itself really repulsive that they keep killing elephants for lack of a better way to describe it that's what's happening because they're the ones that are causing the conditions that need them to be euthanized it's really tragic it really is happy passed a self-recognition test in the mirror can you explain what that is Yes. And thank you for asking, because that's also another reason why she jumped out at us as a good plaintiff, because it's proven that she's autonomous. And so the mere self-recognition test is a way that scientists are able to prove that an animal has self-awareness, that they are aware that they are a being and they're separate from another being. You know, it's something we kind of take for granted as humans that we sort of assume that, you know, like the little voice that's in our head that narrates us. Some of us just instinctively assume that animals are like enough like us and don't even doubt that. And so for someone like me, I I have to remember a lot of humans don't think that way. And so for us, it's like, okay, of course she recognized herself in the mirror, but to where science has been at, that has not been a thing. And only a few species have been able to pass this test, but it does mean that they're self-aware. And Happy was the first elephant to pass the test. There's now been other elephants that have passed the test. And the reason prior elephants, I guess, failed is they didn't have a mirror large enough for elephants. And so they just couldn't see themselves. But when they did it with Happy, basically they put some chalk on a shoulder or some part of her body, and then they'll mirror that sensation on the other side, but not actually put chalk there. So it can't just be based on feel. And they go up to the mirror, and then they see the chalk on themselves, and they start taking it off. Oh, wow. 
they recognize that that's their image and they're taking it off and they repeat the test a few times to make sure it's not a fluke but they're using the mirror to say okay the paint is here let me get that off and now that it's been done so many times you can just go on youtube and watch elephants doing the test it's not an invasive cruel test Mm -hmm. In fact, you can see the elephants seem to really like the mirror and they're so human. Like, it's funny. They look under their tongues and they like check out their teeth. They love looking at their teeth because it's something they don't see very often. So it's incredible. Aw, that is so cute. Why would Happy be better off in a sanctuary than where she is now at the Bronx Zoo? So we have the world's most renowned elephant scientists on our case. There's five elephant scientists that are just at the top of their field. They're on Nat Geo. They're all over the place on YouTube. And they were all in agreement that one acre is just too small for any elephant, this one acre enclosure. And the fact that she might be in a barn most of the time is insanely, you know, cruel. And then the fact that she's not with other elephants at sanctuary, she would be with other elephants. She would have thousands of acres to roam, like rolling hills. She gets to choose where to go, with whom to be, what to eat. I mean, all the autonomy that's being deprived right now at the zoo, she would be restored and able to flourish like an elephant should. And the two sanctuaries that we identified, they both have had situations where they've had elephants that were considered antisocial or didn't get along with other elephants and that didn't respond well to little traveling here and there that were flourished as soon as they got to the sanctuary. Like you can watch these transformations on YouTube. You don't have to take my word. You can see the elephants are just thriving. And that really flies in the face of what our opponents were saying about how moving happy would uproot her from all of her caretakers and you know, this and that. It's kind of like, yeah, she's getting along with her caretakers just like a prisoner would with the prison guards, but that doesn't mean he doesn't want his freedom. So we have, luckily we have the experts that say this. So it's not just like take our word court. I mean, the audacity and entitlement of humans to think that the interaction with her human caregiver is equal to that of interaction with other elephants. It's so audacious. Yes. So I saw one of the judges ask a question about what would the outcome of this case mean for pet owners and would it mean that people would have to give up their dogs? I wasn't sure if she was on your side playing devil's advocate or if this was a legitimate question. Yeah, I mean, luckily, I could tell after a couple of her other questions that she was playing devil's advocate because she actually ended up being one of the judges that ruled in our favor. Okay, wow. Exactly. It's like she was reflecting a question that bothers all of us, right? And so she was kind of thinking, my friends, my colleagues at this bench are going to have this concern. So she wanted to make sure I tried to answer it. So once I realized she was giving me like help, I mean, by asking it so we could resolve it, I was like, thank you. And I basically was like, domestic animals are just in such a different boat. One, we don't have the science about their intellect. They can't pass the mere self-recognition test. But more importantly, we don't think that the detention, it's not like having a dog in your house is like detaining an elephant in a one acre enclosure. The dogs usually want to be here. Like we have co-evolved with many of these domestic species. We benefit dogs, dogs benefit us. That's just how it has worked. And we treat pets better. There's more laws that protect them. Dogs are just unequivocally being treated better than happy is. And happy is proven to be a lot more intelligent and like altruistic and needs to be around other elephants. So they're just very different. And for anyone that's really interested in understanding the full range of that argument, like the dissent, Judge Wilson's dissent gave a really good response to the dog thing. Oh, really? Yeah, you did. I have a quote from one of the judges. I want to see if it was that one because it really moved me. Yes, Justice Wilson wrote, 
when the majority answers no, animals cannot have rights, I worry for that animal, but I worry even more greatly about how that answer denies and denigrates the human capacity for understanding, empathy, and compassion. Yeah. His opinion is so amazing. Like I was crying listening to it. I have this PDF reader. So I was trying to listen to parts of it when I was on my trip in Paris. And I was just like, I can't listen to the rest of this because I want to like enjoy some of my trip. It was just so moving the way he relate the enslavement of human beings and the treatment of women and the plight of animals as kind of like coexisting. And then that animal rights activists were really the reason that we have protections for women and for children and for the abolition of slavery was a lot of help with animal rights abolitionists. They kind of went hand in hand and he really extrapolates that and talks about the human obligations to be compassionate towards other species. So he's an amazing judge. I was just blown away by his ruling. Wonderful. Where have you left off and what is the next step? So we didn't win the case. The opinion itself isn't the worst. We've had way worse opinions. This was a long opinion. It was written by the chief judge herself and she acknowledged that elephants are cognitively complex, social beings, that they deserve a lot better. They were alluding to the fact that happy deserves better. They just said that this is a matter for the legislature and not the courts, which we totally disagree with. And the dissents totally attack that argument. But it means that they don't think there's not a problem. It's just that, okay, there's another branch that should deal with this. So we're going to obviously be pressing hard on the legislature because now you've got the court saying the legislature matters and there's enough people, over a million people have signed Happy's Change.org petition that agree that she should be free. So, you know, I hope that, you know, maybe if a celebrities get involved, like a couple of celebrities could tweet about her case. I mean, that alone could bring attention to the Bronx Zoo. As far as Happy goes, we really need to lean on the public and the legislature and try to continue the support for her to get out because it's kind of like we did our part we've done everything we can now it's up to you guys to help us tweet about her share her petition contact new york the lawmakers contact the city council contact the bronx zoo contact the bronx zoo board members everyone she needs to get out and the sanctuaries are willing to take her free of charge so it's just it's a matter of just getting her out Yeah, thank you for sharing that because I'm sure a lot of people would like to know how they can get involved, how they can help. Have any celebrities taken any interest in this? Yeah, I mean, over the course of time, absolutely. We've had Cher tweet about us and she was really influential. In fact, maybe a main reason why Kavan, the elephant in Asia, was able to get out in Pakistan. She was very instrumental in that. So she's tweeted about Happy. Brian May, one of the singers from Queen, has been supportive of our cases. And I think he's probably spoken out or tweeted. Most of the celebrities, I probably shouldn't even call them that, but like big profile people are on the legal world. So they're cool people to me, (laughs) like the judge of South Africa, like a former South African Supreme Court judge who was hailed by Nelson Mandela as a modern day civil rights hero. He wrote a brief in support of us. So he's an awesome person to have support us. But I don't know how far that helps us with the Bronx Zoo board members who really care about their patrons and the people in America. So like, that's why I'm like, it's going to take maybe more young or popular celebrities. Maybe JLo can help out since she's from the Bronx with the whole Bronx Zoo situation. Oh my God, right? (laughs) I just saw her documentary recently and it was actually really, really good. Oh, I haven't watched it yet. I wonder if we could get her. Oh my gosh, we've got to get Jenny from the blog. Let's do it. (laughs) If anyone who's listening knows JLo, let's get her. Yes. When I was looking through the court documents, something that caught my eye was that three Buddhist scholars in expertise in ethics, Buddhist ethics, theology, 
gave a quote, and I want to read it because I fully agree with this. They said, This legal moment for Happy represents a great opportunity to consider the treatment of sentient beings from a cross-cultural and more moral perspective than we have done before, so as to avoid perpetuating a great moral wrong merely because it has been a habit of the law. That sums everything up. I agree. I loved that brief. I read, obviously, all the briefs to prepare, and the Buddhist brief jumped out at me as like this just beautiful, simple statement that everyone could understand and read. It didn't have a lot of cases in it, and it was just so beautiful and so well-written. I love that brief. I'm so glad that you read it and you were able to see that quote, or at least that part of it, because I, yeah, it's exactly. This is the time to change the paradigm of how we look at other beings, and maybe they don't all have the right to habeas corpus or the right to bodily liberty, but they might have the right to not be in a tiny little tank. Certain pets maybe we shouldn't have, like fish and birds, maybe they deserve to fly and swim, but dogs and cats just get along fine with us. Like We can really start to think about what other animals deserve and what their needs are as intrinsic beings. And I'm glad you just mentioned habeas corpus because that is what this case was based on. Exactly. So the right to bodily liberty protected by the common law, the right that we were seeking for happy, we use the mechanism of the common law writ of habeas corpus. And habeas corpus is a writ that is a freedom writ. It basically says you release the prisoner if they're unlawfully confined. And so this is an ancient writ that goes back to antiquity. We can trace it to the Magna Carta and beyond. But it was historically used to free those who had no other recourse at law. In ancient common law, when women were considered the chattel of their husbands, they were able to use the writ of habeas corpus to seek a non-abusive household. And so even though they were legally had no rights, they still had the right to habeas corpus to seek a basic freedom from an abusive situation. And so the analogy really holds up for happy. It's like you don't actually have to even currently be a considered a legal person with any rights to still have this one particular right. There's really no other rights we can find that we could find support for. I mean, there's this is the one kind of remedy that really fits for an animal. And we think it is just a matter of time before a court finally recognizes that. Yeah, I think that was really smart. We also used another word, which is sentient, and I just always assume people know what that means, but it's very simple. It just means the ability to be able to perceive or feel things, and I think anyone can agree animals are sentient. Yeah, exactly, and we've come such a long way. I mean, we have to again remember that the law that is right now, like for all animals, is based off of the knowledge that we had hundreds of years ago, which is that animals are just objects for our use, and they have no intrinsic value. They have no suffering. They're just objects. And we've come so far away from that understanding in terms of science, in terms of just basic interactions with animals. We know that they feel and they suffer. So yeah, exactly. And sentience is one aspect. And we're saying that there's autonomy, which is on top of sentience. So some animals, we just know they're sentient, they feel and they suffer. But can they plan for the future? Are they aware of the past? Do they mourn? Do they talk to each other? They might just have basic squeaks or this, but we know elephants have like 300 words. And that's just what we can decipher from them. So that's the tip of the iceberg. So we're saying, yeah, they're sentient. And then they're also basically like us. And (laughs) detaining happy isn't just like detaining a caterpillar. It's like detaining a human being. The idea of sentience is one that I also think that cases like ours hopefully are bringing that more to people's awareness. I think Jeremy Bentham was the one that said, the question isn't can they reason, but can they suffer? And for a lot of us, that's enough. Like, I didn't have to know all this extra stuff about elephants to think that they were deserving of more than what Happy has. Learning all that stuff just made me more pissed off at the humans that are keeping her like locked up because once you're aware that they're so smart they're so freaking smart and they're so altruistic as a a species they care so much about each other it just makes you think god these humans suck (laughs) get her out of there (laughs) you know 
What do you think the opposition is thinking? Why are they fighting so strongly? Is it money? Is it mm-hmm. that they don't want yeah. to change their own personal It's a lot beliefs? of those things. I think money is probably number one. I mean, that's where you get the courts are concerned with upending businesses. They're profiting from her. And I think it, releasing her to a sanctuary poses an existential problem for zoos because they're like, okay, if we release the elephants to sanctuary, that's implying that all of our animals here on some level might not be treated well and deserve to be in a sanctuary. Like the idea of sanctuary is that the place for them to come out of a cruel situation. And then like, to your point, I do think that there is a psychological aspect of it that is in denial. And I've watched a lot of elephant documentaries now and have watched a lot of zookeepers and zoo directors have this pathology that scientists are trying to understand, but they're showing them back. If they're at the sanctuary, they get to be with other elephants and this and that and the other, and they're just so set in their ways. So I think it's a combination of factors, money and greed and delusion. Wow. In all your years of doing this now, do you see change coming? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, having the highest court of any state, New York in particular, which is such a big state, such a momentous state where a lot of our progressive causes have started, I feel like for them to take our case and to write the opinions that they wrote, this was like 110 pages of opinion. This wasn't a one, you know, most of that was dissent, but even the majority ruling was 20 pages. All of the media coverage, we were in the New York Times and CNN and NBC and all of these outlets covering us, were not making fun of us. And when we first kind of filed our cases, they were like chimpanzees and habeas corpus and kind of mocking us a little bit. Some of them took us seriously, but this round has been just phenomenal. And people are really, you know, being on a show like yours, I think younger audiences are starting to take interest. I was in TMZ, which was kind of a a new outlet for us to be in. So I think that, yeah, I was like the elephant empowerer (laughs) or something. It was just really cool to see. This shouldn't be confined to like stuffy legal minds. Like this should be something we all as society care about and take interest in whether or not we free happy or it's through a public effort. But you know, I think it takes a village to save an elephant. And I'm really glad that people like you are giving me and happy and you know, our team a platform to get the word out. Anytime. If I can use this platform for anything, this is what I want to use it for. Moving on a little bit, I have to assume you're vegan? Yeah, yeah, I am. (laughs) Okay. I just saw you got back from what looked like a beautiful trip to Paris. How was eating in Paris as a vegan? (laughs) So I was lucky because I was traveling with a girlfriend who's also vegan, and she planned the whole thing. Paris was just phenomenal as a vegan because they have several mini chains that are like vegan bakeries. So one was called Cloud Cakes. The other one was Land and Monkeys. And then there was a whole vegan fromagerie all the cheeses my final night I had like six vegan cheeses and they were so good I'm craving them right now there's good vegan cheese in America too especially here in California but this was just artisan like you just could take like the blue cheese tasted like regular blue cheese so we stayed at an all-vegan hotel called Hotel Hoy and they had yoga modern day being vegan in other countries has not been a challenge amazing and what was that hotel name again because I might have to go I'm going to Paris soon yeah (laughs) you do need to go it's called Hotel Hoy h-o-y Okay, that's incredible. And now I'm craving those cheeses. (laughs) I know, right? (laughs) How can people find you if they're interested in reaching out or have any questions or maybe another podcast will want to bring you on? How can they find you? Yeah, so I'm on Twitter and on Instagram, although most of my Instagram is just dumb pictures um, but let me get my my yeah my twitter handle i like kind of newish to twitter actually i mean like i've, I've been on it forever but i started only using it really for happy's case because it was the first time i was like really 
I was kind of driven to use it, you know, like I wanted to get the word out about her before I was kind of like, who needs to hear my opinion on Twitter? So I don't actually have my my handle memorized. Well, I do have your Instagram and I can give them that while you're looking up your Twitter. It's at Monica underscore Lynn, L-Y-N-N underscore Miller. And what is your Twitter? It is at Mon underscore L underscore Miller. Perfect. Well, if I was on Twitter, I would follow you. But same thing. So you're like me. Yeah, I have avoided all other social media successfully. Yeah, it's like Instagram's cute and like easy and I don't know, just fun. And I'm like, oh, Twitter's so serious. with like all these adults, <laughs> <laughs> even though I am one. But you know what? Yeah. I feel like it's the perfect platform for an attorney because people are arguing points back and forth on Twitter all day. Totally. I see a photo of Ruth Bader Ginsburg behind you, and I think she would just be so proud of you for everything you have done. And I want to speak for all the animal rights activists out there. We are so thankful for you and everything that you've done. Keep up the good work, Monica. Thank you so, so much. Thank you just immensely for having me on the show. (laughs) Thank you so much for being here.
The headlines remind us daily, the world is a dangerous place. The elites in charge say everything's fine, stop noticing, but you know better. And your gut knows that time is short to prepare for a world that is four missed meals away from chaos. My Patriot Supply has helped over three million families become more self-reliant and is the company Americans trust to prepare. Go to MyPatriotSupply.com and secure their best-selling three-month emergency food kits. Each contain delicious breakfasts, lunches, and dinners, averaging over 2,000 calories per day. Secure at least one food kit for each family member. For a limited time, save $200, plus get free shipping on all their Ready Hour three-month emergency food kits. You're not ready if it's not Ready Hour Foods. My Patriot Supply also has solar power generators, water filtration units, biomass stoves, heirloom seeds, and critical survival gear. Shop MyPatriotSupply.com today. MyPatriotSupply.com Hey, podcast listener. Do you love talking about movies, music, TV, comics, and games? Then you should be listening to The Great Pop Culture Debate, back in Bigger Than Ever for Season 9. This season, the panelists discuss the best James Bond film, the best Elton John single, the best Nickelodeon original series, the best Batman villain, and so much more. Find the show wherever you listen to podcasts or head to greatpopculturedebate.com. More than 100 topics are already available. Subscribe today.